I'm Clay Pigeon. Welcome to the Wake and Bake Morning Show podcast. It's a weekly digest of some of the segments and moments that make up the Wake and Bake Morning Show on WFMU. Of course, you can listen live to Wake and Bake Monday through Friday, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on WFMU.org. Join me live every morning for the full show. It includes great music, 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 chair throwing, pixie dust, and all-round good vibes. <laughs> oh my God, the man is a maniac. You can, you, can, you, can, you can also hear the full show on streaming archives oh. at wfmu.org slash playlists slash WA. All right. Good morning, Clank listeners. Joe Bialk here with another edition of Almost Famous, our look at the formative years of your favorite music stars. See if you can guess who it is without using a search engine. I may not be able to do it, but I'll try. <laughs> Today, our story begins in Surrey, England, where our subject was born in 1941. His father was a Canadian soldier who had been wounded in World War II. He met our subject's mother when she had come to play piano to entertain the troops in a London hospital. After the war, the family settled in Toronto. Our subject and his father always had a stormy relationship, and he was kicked out of the house when he was 14. He lived in an abandoned building and wound up in prison after numerous arrests for vagrancy and petty theft. He taught himself to play guitar when a former cellmate left the instrument behind. Upon his release, he became immersed in Toronto's Yon Street R&B scene, where Arkansas rockabilly expat Ronnie Hawkins briefly took him under his wing. He then formed his first band, The Fabulous Shays, and the band had a modest local hit with a cover of John Lee Hooker's Boom Boom. Boom, 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 boom. Gonna shoot your head down. After the Shays, he got involved in Toronto's vibrant jazz and blues scene in Yorkville. With his many hands on each ivory key, he made that poor piano moan with melody. Oh, blues. He formed a new band in 1966 called The Boss Men, who had a major Canadian hit with Brainwashed. <laughs> now, as we listen to this 1966 R&B-driven anti-war song, see if you can guess who the future superstar is on lead vocals and guitar. That was the boss man with Brainwashed. Did you guess who it is? I don't know. Well, John Lee Hooker himself invited the boss man to sit in with him one night in Yorkville. Uh. They hit it off, and the blues man invited our subject to stay in his band for a two-week engagement in New York's Greenwich Village. Hooker then had a European tour, but our subject decided to stay in New York. He was heard by folk superstar Judy Collins, 
and she alerted her friends who were looking for a new lead singer. It took just one gig to impress Collins' pals, Bobby Columby and Steve Katz, who immediately offered our subject the gig in their band Blood, Sweat, and Tears. So here is former boss man lead vocalist David Clayton Thomas with a track from the band's self-titled breakthrough second album, More and More. gonna call them rhinos from here on out okay rhinos are found in africa and southern asia they've been depicted in french cave paintings going back 30,000 years if you have a group of rhinos you i thought this was interesting it's called a crash of rhinos Rhinos eat plants. They've got little brains for their size. One, two horns, maybe, and thick latticed skin for defense. Thick latticed skin for defense. Rhinoceros are killed by people for their horns, which are bought and sold on the black market, especially in East Asia, specifically in Vietnam, where a horn could be worth a quarter of a million dollars. People grind the horns, believing the dust is an aphrodisiac or maybe a cancer cure. Actually, their horns are made of keratin, same thing that makes up your hair and fingernails. These are the amazing Lee press-on nails. No glue, no mess. Press-on. The black Javan and Sumatran rhinos are considered to be critically endangered. White rhinoceros, the most abundant rhino species in the world, however, the northern subspecies is critically endangered. Only two female captives remain. <laughs> Black rhinos numbered 2400 1995. They've rebounded to a degree, but still number just 10% of their former population. <laughs> Javan rhinoceros is one of the most endangered large mammals in the world. Only about 60, 60. remain. Sumatran rhinos, there were 320 in 1995, just 200 today. Palm oil plantations have taken out their habitat. Ooh. Rhinos are so easily poached, they can be killed while they drink at their daily watering holes. To prevent poaching in certain areas, rhinos are tranquilized and their horns are removed. 
poor rhinos. She, we love them here at Wake and Bake. We know you do too. Eight, uh, well, almost eight. Twenty-one, uh, George. How you doing, George? Tell me what you said about the weed, George. Yeah, yesterday, Governor Andrew Cuomo signed a bill which decriminalizes cannabis in New York State, so lowering the penalty from jail to a fine. Right. That. Uh, and what's up with Jersey? They're dragging their feet. <sighs> yeah, they're waiting. <laughs> no yawning, George. No yawning. Hey, let's have a look at for the record now. I love records, George. But not that kind of record. I mean world records. George, like Jonesy said uh, some years ago. Now, what about Sultan Kozin? He's the tallest living man. You and I are pretty tall, George, right? Yeah. Yeah, how tall are you, George? Uh, 5'11". 5'11". I'm, I used to be 6'1". I'm kind of shrinking now as the years go by. Sultan Kozin, he's uh, eight foot two. He's uh, from Turkey. Not too many people have been more than eight feet tall. George, I don't think it'd be fun to you. No. A lot of health problems yeah. go along with it and yeah. a lot of logistical problems hitting your head on doorways. What about Robert Wadlow? There's your tallest man ever. You know how tall he was, George? He was really tall. Eight foot 11 inches. Eight foot 11.1. Oh. Yeah. He was five foot four by the age of five. And he was already wearing teenagers' clothing, Robert Wadlow. By age eight, he was almost six feet. He was as tall as you and I when he was eight, George. React. Wow. <laughs> You're my reactor here, George. I called you in to react. I want some by God reactions. Now, by age 80, almost six feet tall, you know what he can do? He can lift his pa up the stairs of their family home. His dad had him do that every night. Lift me, <laughs> you little son of a gun. You lift me up the stairs. Robert passed the eight foot mark by the age of 17. And basketball, that's all I'm thinking, hey. George. Basketball. Yeah. Uh, he had to wear custom-made size 37 AA shoes. Hey, this is all gigantism. Uh, overproduction of the human growth hormone. Died at 22. Now it gets sad, George, because of a blister on his right ankle caused by a bad leg brace. Buried in a coffin 10 foot 9 inches long. React, George. Wow, that's a long coffin. Jyoti Kasanji Amgi, the shortest woman living, still alive in central India was of average stature until age five when it was discovered she had a form of dwarfism called achondroplasia, would never grow beyond as tall as she is now. How tall, George? Two feet tall. Two feet tall and not rising. The shortest living woman weighs just 12 pounds. But taller than Chandra Bahadur Dangi, the shortest man ever, one foot nine and a half inches. Wow. You like records, George? I love records. Do you got a lot of vinyl, George? I do have a lot of do vinyl. You? Oh, yeah. You've seen mine. Do you got more than uh, me? Not as much as you, but I've got a lot. I got a, a few years on you. You can catch up, George. Working on it. Get out there and get him. Give me a slam, man. That was something else. George! Oh, George, Jesus. On this day back in 2003, the Stones, ACDC, Rush, Flaming Lips all played a show in Toronto to show the city was free from SARS. Remember that? Also on that bill. 
to guess you, Burton Cummings and Company. They got no time, baby. No time for you. On my way to better no things, I found myself somewhere. Distant roads are calling me. What is this world coming to? down in South Dakota not so long ago, down there at Aberdeen, out there at the sail barn. I suppose it was a Friday night that's probably closing down, and me and the boys often play cards in the back. Somebody'd have a little bottle of whiskey and a brown paper bag, pass it around. We'd all get that warm, friendly with that warm, friendly glow of friendship. I knew a man named Bob, but would sometimes join in our games. All right. Other times not, he was moody. Not today. And sometimes he'd just go off by himself in a corner of the warehouse and smoke. There in the shadows, I wonder what went through his mind. I'm afraid and alone. Mob there smoking with the past close behind. He's got a woman. He's got a there at home. And she's been waiting, waiting for him. I'll wait for you, darling. And I know that she's just sitting there all alone. I am alone. She's waiting. She's waiting for me. I'm Mark Moran from Weird, New Jersey, your travel guide to New Jersey's local legends and best-kept secrets. One of the most common road myths here in the Garden State is the story of Gravity Roads, sometimes referred to as Gravity Hills. We've investigated several of these locations where the forces of gravity seem to hold true in theory only. It's time to try to These are specific locations on certain streets where your car will actually roll uphill when placed in neutral. That ain't true. That don't make sense. The preferred scientific method of testing these anomalous roads is to pull your car up to a pre-designated spot, throw it in neutral, and remove your foot from the brake. Then, ever so slowly, your car will begin to travel, as if forced by unseen hands uphill. And we're seriously rolling uphill. It really works, and the sensation can be quite disorienting and a little unsettling. The legend of these spots are all remarkably similar, yet all possess their own unique plot twists. Most of the tales involved at least one violent death, and a spirit of some kind that pulls or pushes your vehicle uphill. 
Those seeking more concrete evidence of the spectral nature of the phenomenon will often sprinkle flour or baby powder on their car's bumper. Then, after the anti-gravity experiment is complete, they examine their bumpers for signs of ghostly handprints in the powder. Look. Now, some may claim that these sites of anti-gravitational pull are merely the result of optical illusions that make the viewer believe they are looking uphill when in fact they are really facing down. To these people, we would say, we can tell our ups from downs and the high roads from the low. And we have found that sometimes all it takes is just a little imagination to make a real joyride out of just another beaten path. Gravity is working against me. You can find gravity roads throughout New Jersey and Franklin Lakes, Hopewell, Harmony Township, and Jackson. There's also Magnetic Hill in Mars Plains and Homedale's Thrill Hill. For the location of these and all the other roads less traveled throughout the state, visit WeirdNJ.com. Okay. Reporting for Weird New Jersey and Wake and Bake, I'm Mark Moran. Thanks, Mark Moran. Why is the car going uphill on this road? <laughs> I remember in the mystery spot up in northern Michigan. There's spots like that around the country, but I've never seen a car roll uphill. We are so excited to have... Uh, uh, Mark Moran with us from Weird New Jersey to do a new segment. To port- we're not even really sure what we're going to uh, call it yet. Uh, wake on the weird side or waking weird. We'll figure it out, but we're glad to have you, Mark. That's cool, right? Yeah. Part of the new uh, wake team. Here's Fairport Convention. Million Dollar Bash. With gorgeous George. What's up, Clay and listeners? This is Sheila B. of Sophisticated Boom Boom with your weekly dose of girl-centric goodness. Tel Aviv-born, Berlin-based songwriter, beatmaker, and poet Jay LaMotta is such a massive Jay Dilla fan that every year on his birthday, she puts together a tribute to the late underground hip-hop producer, mixing his records with her vocals. She spoke to a podcast called All I See Is Blinkin' Lights about her musical hero and had this to say. Jay Dilla, I literally discovered as soon as I came to Berlin by just sitting here with a friend and he was like ah there is this uh, very famous producer you probably know him and I'm like uh, <laughs> his name is Jay Dilla and I'm like no I never heard the name and then he was playing it and I heard I heard it for the first time and I was like almost crying saying to myself how did I live my life without knowing this gold, this treasure. Jay LaMotta also credits Bob Marley for helping her to learn English as a child growing up in a Moroccan-Israeli family. After spending many years studying jazz in Tel Aviv, she decided to quit her education and make a spontaneous move to Berlin where she began making records. She's produced and self-released four EPs and one album since 2015. And this past April, she put out her sophomore LP called Suzume on Jakarta Records. 
She's got a voice you just want to cozy up to and a sophisticated sound that blends jazz, soul, and her homemade beats. Here's my favorite track off Suzume. It's called Turning, and it's my pick for this week's Girl-Centric Goodness. Around the sun, turning stars Make this world go around No one knows how did it start But we are existing Keep hurting and twisting, yeah Right now, let's go to the phone and see if we can't. Uh, I believe we got Munster there. Is that right, Munster? That's right, Pidge. What's hey, up, Munster, man? How are you? Munster, you don't have your radio on, do you? Hey, uh, you might have I turned to t- it way low. All right, it sounds a little weird, but we're going to work with it. Are you ready to play uh, Friday movie trivia? I'm ready. Let's do it, man. I'm turning the music on. That's when it gets real. Here we go. <laughs> Oh, man, this is fun. Now, here's question number one. It's called The Gimme. Supposed to be the easy one. The 1995 movie Before Sunrise, directed by Richard Linkletter, takes place during what time of day, Munster? I'm going to say the early hours before sunrise in the morning. Okay, let's see. There we go. Yes, that's right. Judges say okay. Before sunrise is one of our acceptable answers. Are you having fun so far? Are you excited? No. On your weird football phone there? Okay, here we go. Question two, I'm going to ask you to choose a category. Action, uh, romance, or horror? Which one would you like, Munster? Let's go action. Action, okay, here we go. In Tim Burton's Batman from 1989, Axis Chemical Works is where Jack Napier plunges into a vat of toxic chemicals which transforms him into the Joker. This scene shares props and its real-life location which which of the following movies? Is it A. Aliens, B. Terminator, or C. Robocop? Let's go see RoboCop. See RoboCop. Oh! A, Aliens, a sequel to Alien filmed in Pinewood Studio, England, where Batman was also shot. Before shooting their scene, the Batman production team had discovered some set materials that were left over from Aliens and used a few of those leftover props in their movie, including the combat vehicle seat from Aliens, they would transform into the computer chair for the Batcave. So you missed that one. Let's try the last one here. Question three is the hard one. Are you still with me, Munster? I'm here, bud. Okay, man, here we go. Did you know that northern New Jersey is actually the birthplace of American cinema? It's true. The first movie camera created in 1891 by William Dixon, an assistant to Thomas Edison in West Orange, New Jersey. But another New Jersey town right across the Hudson River from Manhattan housed 11 film studios from 1907 to 1918. And you can trace the roots of companies like Universal Studios and 20th Century Fox to this town. Which town was New Jersey's own little 
Hollywood monster? Was it T-Neck, Fort Lee, or Hackensack? Uh, I couldn't hear you. I'm going to say Fort Lee. You're going to say Fort Lee is correct. In its early years, the silent uh, movie industry was positively booming in Fort Lee. Uh, up until an especially bitter winter in 1918 due to a coal shortage imposed by World War One. So you got, what did you get? Uh, two out of three, right? Two for three. All right. Ha- hang on with Daisy. She's going to hook you up with a wake bumper sticker and send you on your way. Thanks for playing, uh, Munster. Hey, thanks, Paige. Good listening to you. Yeah, you too, buddy. Six in front of eight. That's our Friday movie trivia. One of these weeks we're going to get a winner, but uh, it just wasn't meant to be this time around. Hey, on this very day, going back to 1962, Robert Allen Zimmerman changed his name to Bob Dylan. Here's some Dylan right here. Classic. I want you. Nice try there, Munster in Brooklyn. Maybe next time. Guilty undertaker sighs The lonesome organ grinder cries The silver saxophones say I should refuse you The cracked bells and washed out horns Blow into my face with scorn But it's not that way I wasn't born to lose you I want you You've been listening to the Wake and Bake Morning Show podcast Did you enjoy it? Yes Good It's a weekly digest of the special features and moments which make up the Wake and Bake Morning Show. After all, you wouldn't want to miss special moments like this. Ah, you're in a good mood today, aren't you? (laughs) The Wake and Bake Morning Show. Set your alarm. And join us each Monday through Friday, 6 to 9 a.m. on WFMU.org. A little too early for you? Catch the archive show, which you can find easily on WFMU's homepage each day. I'm Clay Pigeon. They call me the Pigeon. Join me each morning for the full show, either on the radio or online at WFMU.org. And keep glistening.